Uh, we're going to be looking at the Song of Moses this afternoon. This is one of my favourite bits in the Exodus story. I love it because it's a song. And if you know me, you know I like singing or I like to think uh, that I'm good at singing at the very least. In fact, I was pleased Ryan sat with me this afternoon. I don't know whether you ever noticed, but no one ever sits with me <laughs> on a Sunday afternoon. And there's a reason for that, I think. Uh, because even though I like to think I can sing, I can't sing. I try to sing, uh, but I can't sing. I try and do this thing where um, I drop an octave or go up an octave and try a, a harmony. And if you look carefully and watch Elizabeth and Matty, you can tell that I can't harmonise because they will show in their face what it sounds like to listen. And I think that's why no one ever sits with me on a, a Sunday um, afternoon. That being said, there are a few things in the world that I love more than singing. I love singing, and I think I'm not alone in saying that. We all love singing. There is something about singing, and we're going to see it as we work through uh, this song. There is something about singing that affects every part of our being. It kind of flows from our heads as we take in words. It affects our hearts. It even goes right down to our souls. And the reason it affects us so much is because God has made us to sing. He's made us to sing. And specifically to sing his song. To sing the gospel. And that's why we enjoy it. That's why we enjoy it as we gather together on a Sunday afternoon. We enjoy it because that is what we were created for. When we sing and when we sing God's song, it reorients our souls. It refreshes us. And so it's appropriate as we get to this bit in the Exodus story by chapter 15. It's appropriate as God's people have crossed through the Red Sea. It's appropriate that the first thing that they do before heading off into the wilderness is they stop. They take a breath and they sing. That's where we're going to pick up this afternoon in Exodus 15. If you've been following along the story, we've been working our way through slowly and intentionally through the book of Exodus over the last few months. And we've seen how God is drawing his people out of slavery and drawing them into the promise of his rest. And remember, everything that we see physically in the Exodus story is a, a shape, a pattern for our spiritual lives as God's people. God is drawing us out of our spiritual slavery, our slavery to sin and death. And he's drawing us into, praise be to God, his eternal rest. Some of which we get to enjoy now, all of which we get to enjoy as we enter into his promise. And God's people here in the Exodus story have been on a journey. Like, don't miss how epic this story has been so far. The plagues, the Passover. Last week we saw them cross through the Red Sea. And rightly, before they move any further, Moses is stopping for a minute. Just to take in everything that's happened. God has been working miraculously in jaw-dropping ways for his people. And Moses doesn't want them to forget. And so he leads them in this song. We're going to see this is going to be a song that they sing in order to remember. It's going to be a song that they sing in order to teach each other. It's a song that they sing to unite each other to themselves. It's a song that they sing to be strengthened. And it's a song that they sing to refresh their soul. That's what singing the gospel does. That's what singing God's song does for the believer. And that's what we're going to see in this song. So look down with me, Exodus 15. I'm going to read all the way through from verse 1 to 21. I'm guessing this was set to music. I'm just going to read it. You're, you're off the hook. Let's go. 
Verse 1. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God and I will praise him. My Father's God and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea. And his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury, it consumes them like stubble. The blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard, they tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed, trembling, seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are still as a stone. Till your people, O Lord, pass by. To the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain. The place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode. The sanctuary, O Lord, which, you have, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. For when the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. Then Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is truth to us. Father, as we pick up this story again, we recognize that it is so much more than a story. It's so much more than history. The Exodus story is our story. Father, we thank you that your people gathered here this afternoon, gather as the redeemed, those that you have drawn out of slavery, those for whom you have crushed their enemies. And Father, we, we rejoice in that. We sit, we stand in the victory that you have purchased through the life, death, resurrection of your son, Jesus. And Jesus, we look to you. We want to hear from you. And so we pray that you would illuminate truth to us as we work through this passage. Jesus, thank you that these are not just words, that your word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And so we pray that by the power of your spirit, you would change us, transform us more into your likeness. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Singing helps us remember. It's the first thing we see here. As the Israelites gather on the eastern shore, 
They've crossed over from the west. They stand on the eastern shore and right in front of them they see salvation. The waters are back. God had separated the waters. They passed through and now the sea is back. And as it laps up on the shore, maybe even perhaps remnants of the Egyptian chariots are lapping up as well. They can see salvation tangibly in front of them. But what about when they walk away? What about the next day when they walk into the wilderness? We're going to take a break for a couple of weeks after this Sunday just to um, spend some time focusing on Easter. But when we come back after Easter, we're going to pick up in chapter 15 again. And we're going to see not so long have they been singing this song, then they are walking into the wilderness and they forget what God has done. Salvation is in front of them. Salvation is tangible. They can touch it. They can see what God has done. And Moses doesn't want them to forget. He wants to cement this moment into their hearts and into their minds. So he teaches them this song. Because there's something about singing that stimulates our memory. It takes us back to the places that we've been or to the people that we've been with. It allows us to remember when Elizabeth Grand, a few years ago, she struggled with dementia towards the end of her life. And in her last uh, kind of months and weeks, as she struggled, she forget people and names and places, things that would be really easy to remember. When you walked into her room and started singing, The Lord's My Shepherd, she knew every word. And she'd correct you when you got the wrong word. She'd tell you off proper bad if you got the words wrong. She could remember it because there's something about sick singing that stimulates our memory one of the primary reasons we sing folks is because we forget as we gather around the gospel as we do on a sunday afternoon we stand as it were on the eastern shore of our red seas celebrating god's victory over our enemies through the death and resurrection of his son jesus but when we walk through those doors When sin starts to pursue us, when the brokenness of the world starts to weigh heavy on us, these things descend like a fog over the truth of the gospel. That's why we need to sing. Singing draws us back. You can hear it up there, right? It ignites our memory. It restores the joy of our salvation. It helps us remember. That's why we sing, folks. If you look at your passage in verse 2, the hope of us singing is that we can say with Moses, as we look and remember the gospel, this is my God and I will praise him. Singing helps us to remember and singing teaches us. It's what I like to call portable theology. That's the second point there. Singing is a type of teaching. As we sing, we learn. And listen, this can... This can work in two ways. Either when we sing, we can be teaching each other glorious truths. Truths that really just reach down into our heart and and touch our soul. Or we can be singing truths that do the opposite. We can sing terrible truths. We don't sing those type of songs here, by the way, guys. We only sing good songs. But I wonder whether you've ever been walking around a supermarket or a shop or listening to the radio, as some pagans do. And um, a song comes on from, um, from your childhood, a song that you sang when you were a kid, like a, a secular song. And you listen to that song again as an adult. And you listen to the lyrics of that song. And all of a sudden you realize what you were singing as a child. Like I've done this a few times. So who let the dogs out? We know that song. <laughs> Terrible. Never sing that to a child. Mambo number five. Terrible. The lyrics are horrendous. And as kids, we were singing these songs all the time. 
See, singing can teach us good things and singing can teach us terrible things. Now, obviously, we're not going to be singing Mambo number five here in a rush, but we do need to think about what we're singing. It matters that we sing, but it really matters what we sing. One of the reasons that we put uh, scripture references under every um, verse that we sing is because we want to sing God's truth. We're singing about God and we're singing to God. And so it's right that we sing truths that he has given us. Singing teaches us. It's theology, or at least it should be. That's what Moses is doing here. He's teaching God's people. In amongst what we've just read there, there's at least nine theological truths that he's teaching God's people. Look down at verse one. He's teaching them that God is glorious. He's showing them that God's victory over Egypt, his mercy that he's shown towards Israel, that is, that is God's character. As they sing, they're putting God's character on display. He's teaching them about God's glory. In verse 2, he's showing them that God is strong to save. Israel had no way of escaping Egypt. They had no way of crossing the Red Sea. It was only that God saved them. Verse 2, we see that God is a personal God. The Lord is my strength. And my song. So Moses is showing they have this majestic, glorious, big God. But also he's my God. He's my personal saviour. Verse 2 again. God is faithful. He talks about his God being his father's God. He's pointing back to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. Those who God gave his promises to. And those promises which are being lived out right in front of Moses' eyes. God is faithful. Verse 3, we see the Lord is a man of war. He's teaching that God is a warrior. We don't often sing that, do we? We don't often sing songs about God being a warrior, God being a man of war. We kind of like to talk about the gentler side of God. But Moses is like, no, this is who he is. Like quite often when we think about who God is, we like to think of cozy Jesus or Jesus like in a white robe. And like, well, like he is welcoming. He is kind. He is peaceable. But Moses is saying he is a man of war. He hates evil. He hates sin. In verse 11, we see that God is unique. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Moses knows that Israel are going to be inclined to bring the gods of Egypt with them. And he's trying to show them, no, no, no. There is nothing like our God. There is nothing that compares to him. He is unrivaled and unmatched in his holiness and in his works. Verse 13, we see that God is loving. Like if you underline in your Bibles, underline this verse. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. That is a beautiful truth, a deep theological truth for God's people. That God has led his people out with steadfast love. We've seen this over the last couple of weeks. God didn't lead Israel out because they were good, special, had some sort of holiness about them. No, he led them out because he loved them. Moses says that it was a steadfast love, not a normal type of love. We talked about this word, this phrase before at Liberty Church. It's this Hebrew word, hesed. And it's a word that we don't have an equal translation in the English language. But the closest we could get is steadfast, loving kindness. That's a love that God shows to his people. Steadfast, loving kindness. God's salvation towards us is all his initiative. It flows all from his love. And Moses is teaching Israel. In verse 17, he teaches them that God is gracious. He's going to bring God's people to a place of rest, plant them on his mountain, bring them into his home. And listen, when we get to the rest of chapter 15 in a few weeks, you will see that these people don't deserve any of that. They don't deserve any goodness from God, and yet God maintains his promises and he is gracious towards them. 
And then in verse 18, we see the final verse of the song. The Lord will reign forever and ever. God reigns. Israel have got some dark days ahead of them. And there is great hope in the darkness when we know that there is a God who reigns in and over the darkness. That's what they need to hear. And that is what Moses is teaching them. Moses' song is portable theology. It's truths about God that they can take with them. It's filled with truths of God's character. And that's what songs are for us. That's what singing the gospel does for us. It teaches us who God is so that we, like in verse 2 again, can say, yes, this is my God and I will praise him. Here's the next thing we we see. Singing unites us. It wasn't just Moses singing this song on his own. Look at verse 1. Moses and the people of the Lord sang this song. And down in verse 21, I love this, Miriam gets all of the girls together and she's like, okay, we're going to have a, let me get this right, an alto section? Is that what ladies sing? Looking at you, Alan, and I don't know why, but let's go with it. She brings all the ladies together and, they, and they're singing together this chorus, dancing together. They have their tambourines. This wasn't a song that they sang on their own. They sang together because singing unites us. And we don't need the Bible to teach us that. We know that. Like if you've ever been to a, a sporting event or a concert or a birthday party and you sing, we know that there is something about singing that brings us together. So yesterday I'm at the Tramia match with the kids. And uh, it's a football match, by the way. Tramia are a football team. Um, and uh, I kind of turned around and looked up the cop. And behind me is a picture of diversity. There's tons of people from all different backgrounds there. There's men there, there's women there, there's old people there, there's young people, there's people who clearly have a lot of money and people who don't have a lot of money. It's Birkenhead, so there's a lot of white people and me and maybe a couple of other people who don't look uh, that white. There's young kind of kids, there's older kids. There's so much diversity. And as the boys come out the tunnel at the start of the match, everyone sings together. We all unite in one song. There's unison. We are together visually. Like if you looked at the cop as we sing, visually we look united. But emotionally we're together as well. And scientists have kind of proven this. There is something that happens when we sing. Our um, uh, endorphins get going. We, we feel pleasure as we sing together in unison. It makes us feel good. And you can imagine the picture on the eastern side of the Red Sea. There's somewhere near two and a half million people all gathered on the shores singing this song together in unison, in one voice. Like this is literally the biggest worship service that there has probably ever been. Now, no doubt amongst that crowd, there were people like me and like some of you who couldn't sing. But they sang. The question, folks, isn't do you have a voice? The question is, do you have a song? And we do as God's people. It's not the melody or the rhythm that unites God's people as we sing. It's the gospel. Something interesting happened yesterday as we were watching the match. We got two men sent off. So we're down to nine men, two red cards. We're holding 2-1 all the way to the end. We're singing all the way. Seven minutes of added time. In the seventh minute, Carlisle score at the other end. And literally, it was fascinating. I was like, this is gold for tomorrow. The whole stadium went quiet, apart from Carlisle. Honestly, in the cop where we're sitting, you could, you could hear a pin drop. No one sang. That's not the Christian life, folks. The 
Christian life is always standing in victory. We always have a song. As we look back, we see the cross is empty. The tomb is empty. Jesus is risen. He has trampled over our enemies. He is seated at the right hand now of the Father. And so the Christian life never finds us in a place of defeat. We can always sing. We have a song and we can sing it, folks. We have been redeemed not from the armies of Egypt, not from Pharaoh, not from an impassable sea. We have been redeemed from sin, Satan and death. We have a song to sing in the gospel, so let's sing. As we stand together and we get to sing together and we are united in our song, we do that together and we come together and we say, this is our God and we will praise him. The next thing that we see is singing strengthens our faith. One of the things I really love about this song is who's singing it. Particularly, like, there's all the Israelites there, but particularly Moses. Like, think of the journey that Moses has been on. If you've been walking through the narrative with us, remember back in chapter 3? So God comes to Moses and he says, right, Moses, you're my guy. You're the one. I want you to go and uh, speak to the leaders of Israel. I want them to tell them that I'm going to lead them out of Egypt. I'm going to draw them out and draw them in. You're the one who's going to go. And and just remember the audacity of Moses. Like, God has just revealed himself. I am. And Moses is like, no, find someone else. Like, just don't do that to God. But he does it three times. God says, no, you're going to go. You're my man. No, find someone else. You're going to go. But I can't speak. I can't speak. No, you'll have to find someone who can speak. No, you're my man. You're going. I'm not eloquent with words, Lord. Find someone else. And now look at him. In front of two and a half million people, Moses is like, Aaron, pass me the mic. I've got a song. (laughs) And he leads people in worship. I love that transformation. I can imagine him singing with confidence, believing what he is singing because he's seen it. He has seen salvation before his eyes. That's what singing does, folks. It strengthens our faith as we are reminded of the gospel. As we see the gospel afresh in front of our eyes again, it strengthens our faith. It's one of the reasons why I think Paul says this in Ephesians 5.19, address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Yes, sing to the Lord. Yes, make melody to the Lord with your heart, but address one another. Sing over one another. Sing within earshot of one another. It's interesting, as, as God's people are there on the eastern shore singing this song, I'm sure like some of them were still like, ah, yeah, but what if? What if the Egyptians come around that way? Or what if as we're moving through the wilderness, what if, if the, the people of uh, Philistia or, or Edom or Moab or the Canaanites come and get us? Or what if we get there and the promised land doesn't even, doesn't even exist? What these folks need more than anything in that moment is for their brothers and sisters to sing for them and to sing with them when they are weak in their faith. Folks, and I encourage you, when you come in here on a Sunday afternoon and you sing, resist the temptation to crawl into your own personal space with Jesus. <clears throat> And the reason I ask you to do that is because you might be running on faith at 100%, but, but most of us aren't. 
the fact some of us come through those doors and our faith is running on fumes, like we're almost that empty. And we need you to sing for us, sing with us, and sing over us. One of the things that I don't like about sitting at the front is I don't get to see you sing. So sometimes I will sneak to the back and have a little look and watch you sing. And as I see you sing, as I see you sing confidently, it stares my faith. It strengthens my voice. It brings me to a place where I can then say, yes, this is my God and I will praise him. Here's the last thing I want us to see. Singing stimulates our soul. And I want to just get a little bit practical here. And maybe just give us three encouragements, because I know the reality is some of us come in here and we know that we should sing and we maybe think that we have to sing, but often we feel like we just don't want to. Maybe you've had a difficult week, maybe sin has been pursuing you, maybe you're coming in feeling shame and guilt from sin. Maybe you just experienced the, just the, the, the weightiness of the brokenness of the world and you come in here and you just don't want to sing. Look down at verse 2 of chapter 15. Moses says, I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God and I will praise him. My Father's God and I will exalt him. We use those words often, praise and exalt. Praise literally means to beautify to beautify. Exalt or extol means to to raise or to lift something high. So here's what Moses isn't saying. He isn't saying, I'm going to make God beautiful. I'm going to make God high. Like he already is those things. What he's saying is, I'm going to find the beauty and I'm going to make much of it. I'm going to put it on display so that others can see. I'm going to find the beauty of who God is and I'm going to put it Put it up high so others can see it. And, and in him doing that, he's doing the very thing that he was created for. The reason we exist, folks, is to glorify God. That's what we were created for, is to make much of him. And when we do that, we get great pleasure from it. When we are walking in the groove of what we were made for, we experience the joy of what we were made for. And so firstly, if you're struggling to sing as you come in on a Sunday afternoon, can I just encourage you? Sing. That might sound counterintuitive. That's the last thing maybe you want to do. But honestly, that is a quick route to joy. The Bible has over 400 references to singing. 50 direct, direct commands to sing. And this isn't God saying, you have to do this, you have to do that. We've talked about this before. Obedience is always a path to joy. God commanding us to sing is him leading us to joy, even when we don't feel like it. So you might not feel like singing because of your circumstances or because of your sin. But can I say that's probably the the best thing that you can do in that moment. Singing is probably the best thing that you can do. Now, folks, we know over the last six or 12 months, there's been some really difficult and dark moments in the life of our church. And to see some of you sing through the darkness and sing through the pain, sometimes with tears in your eyes, That reminds me of how important singing is. See, the truth is, we're not singing just about anything and singing to someone. We're singing about God and we're singing to God. 
In Moses' song, there's over 50 references to God and his actions. Moses is so deliberately trying to draw the people's focus towards God. In the midst of the great moment of them seeing their enemies being crushed, he's trying to draw their attention towards God. But this is a song that they carried with them and they're going to need to sing it as they experience the brokenness of the world and sin pursue them again. They're going to need to be drawn towards God and seeing God as front and center. That's what they need. And so that's why Moses gives them this song. So rich in truths about God and so focused towards God. In the first part of the song in verses 1 to 12, he's taken their eyes away from kind of the future and what's to come. He's saying, okay, look back. Look and see what God has done. Look and see what he's doing in this moment as we stand in victory. And then in the latter half of the song in verses 13 to 18, he has them look forward, look to the promise. Look at what God has promised. Look at what is coming for us. And when we sing, we're not minimizing our troubles. We allowing ourselves to see them in light of a God who has already worked great things and has promised great things for us in the future. So sing. If you're struggling to sing, sing. If you're struggling, secondly, find ways to digest what you're singing. Don't just look at the words and speak or sing the words. Like really consider them, digest them. And honestly, I think the best way to do that is to memorize what you're singing. It was the time when these things didn't exist, TVs. Before this, we had these things in the back called hymn books. Anyone remember that? Anyone remember when someone used to stand at the front of the church and say hymn number whatever? In fact, we've got a board out there, haven't we, with the numbers on it, and you'd turn to the page. And, and the hymn books were great, but they were all also kind of a, a bit of an opportunity to avoid that weird eye contact with anyone else and just to bury your head in there and, and keep your head down. And these things are good because they raise our heads up. But actually, these things can enslave us as well. We can become so fixated on these things. And they are helpful. They're especially helpful if you have a tendency to mix up lyrics from different songs, as some people that I know do. Um, But can I encourage us? Use these screens as an aid, not as a slave. Try and learn the words to the songs that we sing. And do that so you can take your energy away from reading and divert your energy towards really digesting what you are singing. Really contemplating the weight of the truths that you are singing. Mulling them over, digesting the gospel truth that is coming out of your mouth. If you think back to the guys who were there on the eastern shore of the Red Sea, like it's hard to imagine Moses sitting down with Aaron and Miriam kind of writing out loads of hymn sheets and And giving them around like that just isn't what they did. It was an oral tradition. They learned through passing on songs and stories together. What's lovely is this this, uh, song that we have in chapter 15. It's the first corporate worship song that we have in the Bible. You can imagine them as they sung it and kind of walking away and the tune and the melodies like in their ears and in their heads. And they start whistling it as they're walking through the wilderness and Maybe as they're washing their dishes or making their bread, someone singing one of the choruses, they remembered it. It wasn't just truths that they learned from Moses. This was something that was stored up in their hearts. It came from their hearts, not from hymn books. And folks, there's something crazy that will happen when truth hits our heart and we sing from our hearts. It affects our emotions. Can I say, when we sing, it's okay to engage your emotions. Be conservative with our theology doesn't mean that we have to be conservative with our hands. We can move them a little bit. 
If you look at the end of the song in verse 20, I love this. Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. Like where on earth they got these things from, I don't know. Miriam sang to them, sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. A tambourine and dancing. Like, come on, guys. This is crazy, isn't it? Ta- like, Elizabeth loves a tambourine, by the way. This is not licensed for a tambourine. I'm just saying. Um, I know it's in the Bible, but there's context. But I think what we are seeing is it's okay to move a little bit. They danced. Like, they were shaking a tambourine. Like, they was moving. And, guys, I think I'd go as far to say... If our singing, the gospel in particular, if our singing doesn't affect our emotions, then I think something's not right. Here we have God's people who've just been liberated from 400 years of slavery. They've been saved from judgment and death. And they know they're on the way to God's promised rest. And the truths that they sing reflect God's character. And the truths that they are singing are reflected in their posture. That's what happens when we sing truth, guys. It's an emotional experience, and that's not a controversial take. That's just reality. Singing is an emotional experience. If you don't believe me and you think that's a little bit out of touch, just look at whenever a national team plays sports, rugby, football, you tell me that emotions aren't Im- impacted when we sing, like particularly rugby. Like you watch the line of, I don't know, men or women as they're lining enough to play for their team. And they're all holding on tight to each other. And the tears are streaming down their face. And they're about to knock bits off each other on the pitch. But they're so caught up in the emotion of the song. Folks, this isn't emotionalism. Emotionalism is pursuing feelings as an end in themselves. I'm talking about emotions that flow from gospel truths that have really penetrated our hearts. And I'm not saying that we all have to have our hands in the air or break out in a dance or get the tambourines out. That's not what I'm saying. I am saying we can close our eyes if we want to. We can lift our hands, we can fall on our knees, we can sit down, we can stand up. We can stop singing and listen to other people sing over us. We can smile. We can cry. We can move our feet if we want to. Wherever an emotional response looks like for you, I'd, I'd encourage you to express it. This is a safe place. You're struggling to sing. I really want you to be encouraged to sing. To find ways to digest the truth that you are reading and listening to. To allow those truths to really penetrate your heart and to touch your emotions. Moses' song is the first corporate worship song that we have in the Bible. And it's also one of the last. If you turn to Revelation chapter 15... John the Apostle has this vision of heaven. And look at what he sees in verse 2 to 4 of chapter 15. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire. And also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. 
Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you. For your righteous acts have been revealed. As John has this vision, he sees a multitude of God's people standing by the sea. Their enemies crushed, singing the song of Moses, praising and exalting their God. And as we sing now, folks, we experience a foretaste of heaven. Singing the gospel, standing and extolling God, praising God. This is what Jesus meant when he said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. When we sing, we experience a foretaste of heaven. And just like John sees, when he looks into his vision of heaven, our focus in our singing is on Jesus. We sing to our Messiah, Jesus, who lived perfectly for us. We sing to our brother, Jesus, who bore our sin for us. We sing to our Savior, Jesus, who died for us. We sing to our Lord, Jesus, who was raised from the dead for us. We sing to our Defender, Jesus, who defeated our enemies. We sing to our Redeemer, Jesus, who has brought us out of slavery. We sing to our King, Jesus, who ascended for us. And we sing to our God, Jesus, who is returning for us. Folks, as Moses calls the congregation in verse 2, I want to call us to the same conclusion. As we look upon Jesus and contemplate the gospel, we come and we say, this is my God, and I will praise him. Let's pray. Father, lead us to that place. Lead us to see that you are our God. As we set our gaze on your son, convince us that he is our Lord and our saviour. Father, we want to be able to confess that with with all of our hearts, that you are our God, and we want to respond to that truth in praising you. So help us. We know that there are times when we struggle, when singing is the last thing that we feel like doing. Father, help us to see that singing leads us to a place where, where you have created us to be, a place of glorifying you. A place of finding joy and walking in obedience as we glorify you. Father, help us not to be enslaved by the the good gifts that you've given us, words, screens. Help us to, to really know the truths that we are singing, to allow them to penetrate into our hearts. And as they do, help us to respond rightly. We don't want to fake it. We don't want to pretend that we're... we're someone that we're not, but we do want to respond in spirit and in truth to all that you have done. So Holy Spirit, do that work in our hearts. Help us to see Jesus for who he is. Help us to respond rightly for what he has done. And Father, help us to love one another. Help us to know when we need to put an arm around a brother or sister and sing for them and sing with them. We know that we come in here with with our faith, some of us strong, some of us struggling and, and feeling weak. And so point us towards the gospel as we sing and as we hear it being sung to us. Jesus, we thank you that we have a song to sing. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you that we can look back as the Israelites did on that side of the Red Sea and we can see that you have purchased our victory for us. We thank you that we can look back and see that the the work of the cross is finished. 
You've risen from the grave and you are interceding for us now at the right hand of the Father. Thank you that our song is a song of victory, not defeat. Father, help us now as we continue to worship. We ask these things in your Son's name and for his glory.